previously on Monster on the Beach. When I first heard about Dr. Gaydon, the first two things I remember hearing about him from our agents that were working him was, one, he is so busy at his office that he has a hot dog stand in the parking lot. And I thought that was, you know, just being made up. It wasn't. It was, it was real. So you went that first time, and then you said, did they, before you left, did they schedule another appointment? No. They just said, come back in two weeks if it's not enough. So I could have made the 15, or the 120, 15s last for a month if, if, they, if I did. But he pretty much gave you the option to come back in two weeks or come back in a month. So what did you do? I went back in two weeks. I'm John Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast. As I teased you at the end of last episode, I don't think we can move forward without first trying to figure out exactly who Dr. Gaydon is. To me personally, the most troubling part of this whole story is just how very much Gaydon seemed to change. By all accounts, he went from loving, compassionate family doctor to a man accused of pushing dangerous pain pills. So, before we go further, I'd like to take a closer look at Gaydon and his family before it all went south. Now, I reached out to his ex-wife and his daughter for interviews, but I never heard back. I'll post an update episode if they ever do respond. As I mentioned briefly last episode, Gaydon's father was a well-loved and respected local doctor. John Gaydon Sr. was born in South Carolina in 1923 and served as a bombardier in the U.S. Army Air Corps during World War II. He attended medical school and moved to Melbourne from Columbia, South Carolina in 1952. Incredibly, at that time he was one of only four medical doctors in all of Melbourne. But then tragedy struck. Two years later, while on vacation in South Carolina, Gaydon Sr. contracted polio. He spent nine months in a hospital, but he eventually lost most of the use of his legs. Incredibly, undeterred, he continued practicing medicine. He would use a wheelchair in his office to do paperwork, and he would get around on crutches while tending to his patients. Gaydon Sr. also remained very active in the community, serving on various boards and even becoming a deacon at his church, Eastminster Presbyterian in Indy Atlantic. He and his wife Mary had three children, with John Jr. being the oldest. Gaydon Jr. graduated high school in 1971 before heading off to Florida State University, where he worked on his pre-med degree from September 1971 to December of 1976. He then attended the University of Monterey, Mexico, medical school. It's often much cheaper for American students to attend medical school in Mexico, and Gaydon earned his diploma on October 3, 1983. Earlier that year, Gaydon married Miriam Meyer, went on a honeymoon, and then later spent two months volunteering at a hospital in the South Bronx. According to documents obtained from the Florida Department of Health, Gaydon described the charitable endeavor as providing valuable experience while adding that there was a great need there for his services. He then did his residency at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in the Elmhurst section of Queens, New York. He completed that on June 30, 1986. But despite getting good overall marks on his final assessment, Gaydon scored three fair grades in medical knowledge, clinical ability, and teaching ability. That said, though, he finished with a solid recommendation from his supervisor, Dr. Harry Rubin, Director of Ambulatory Care for the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. He described Gaydon this way, quote, 
He relates very well to his patients, and his relationship with his colleagues on the house staff has always been quite good. He has a very professional demeanor, and I feel sure that he will continue to develop. I have no hesitancy in recommending John Gaydon. Close quote. Gaydon moved back to Florida. He worked at Health First Medical Walk-In Clinic in Cocoa Beach from July 1, 1986 to April 27, 1988, enjoying hospital privileges at Holmes Regional Medical Center and joining his father's practice as well in 1986. His father continued working up until two weeks before his death from cancer in 1990. He was only 67. Gaydon then took over his father's practice. Now, Gaydon's medical career was going well, but there were some setbacks in his private life. He and his wife Miriam were defrauded by more than $55,000 by a company known as the Gold Exchange. Gaydon was successful in suing them, but the company went bankrupt and he never recouped his money. Then in 1993, Gaydon's younger brother, a scientist working in Houston, passed away at the age of 34. Gaydon and his wife had two children of their own, and his mother Mary worked for him at the front desk of his thriving practice. It was the early 2000s, and he was one of the founding partners of Alpha Medical, and the company was expanding. I met Dr. John Gaydon approximately in September 2004, when I began working for this company. Uh, Alpha Medical. Meet Dr. Hilbert Zubayos. Here he is talking about his first impression of Dr. Gaydon. It was a very nice impression. I remember I saw him at the hospital where we used to work and um, it was a very polite, a very competent physician, um, soft manners, a good friend, very professional. He was a physician who had a very uh, good manners with everybody and obviously this one was uh, uh, directed also to the patients. I remember I saw him interacting with his patients and he was always very compassionate, very polite, uh, uh, very uh, uh, competent physician. According to Zabayos and others, Gaiden was also popular with other doctors. He was well liked by the colleagues, I remember. we. Uh, had moments when we interacted with the other colleagues in the doctor's lounge. Sometimes we had a few activities uh, at nights on the local restaurants around Melbourne. And um, I remember I saw him always uh, interacting with the other doctors who, great, uh, who greeted him on a um, warm way, calling him, hey, Hey John, how are you? How are you, my friend? You know, things like that. And he was always uh, smiling, uh, very polite, very uh, considerate to, to everybody. In June 2005, another doctor joins the group, Carlos Viscara, who says he and Gaydon struck up a friendship outside the workplace as well. Actually, I went a couple of times dinner with him and his wife, um, my wife too. Um, the first uh, three months, we have an uh, excellent uh, relationship as a professional and as a friend, too. His character was like a shy doctor. Um, he didn't talk much, very polite. The patients used to like him, That's because I used to see his patients, too. I'd like to thank filmmaker Dante Culp for providing me with these interviews with the doctors. I'll talk more about Dante in the interviews later on. In 2006, John Gaydon's life took a turn for the worse. There were indications in his professional career something was not right. He started missing meetings, and his follow-up care was not what it once was. 
His colleague, Dr. Zabayos, said he noticed something change in Gaydon by the hours he was keeping at the hospital. The first thing that I noticed is that he uh, began doing rounds at night. I knew that he had a very busy schedule, especially at the office, because as I said, he had a huge uh, practice and uh, uh, that it was uh, run by him. He had two or three nurse practitioners. He hired two more doctors because the volume of the patients uh, was very uh, high. So, of course, with all these people, so they but with all these people, uh, the work at his practice, at his office, I knew that it was very complex. But despite that, he used to do rounds around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, or staying until around 8 o'clock. But then uh, I have noticed uh, that he began coming late, late and late. I remember one night that I was on call, so I had to stay at the hospital. And when I was running to this floor, uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning to see one patient who had an emergency situation, I was surprised to see him doing rounds at 2 o'clock in the morning. So at that time I did not know if he was doing for the day before or for the day after. You know, and I was very surprised that, uh, as I say, he was doing rounds at, uh, at that time of the, of the day because no, that is not a routine on the doctors. We doctors, we, never, we don't do uh, rounds at that time. So Dr. Gaydon is doing rounds at two in the morning even though he has a thriving practice. And that struck his fellow doctor as extremely unusual. Then you have this, Dr. Viscara, who left Gaydon's practice after one year in June of 2006, said he noticed something out of the ordinary as well going on, something that he said he would have no part of. One day he just put a patient to, to be seen by me and the patient, it was a, I remember, clearly it was a young girl. And when I, when I came to the room, I say, how can I help you? And she said, I just came here for my Percocet and my son's prescription. So then I left the room. I said, well, uh, I know, just a moment, maybe you, you need to see Dr. Gating. So I went to the manager, the unknown, I see those kind of patients. Uh, they you just come for a controlled substance. Then we have a conversation with him, with Dr. Gaiden, and he didn't think it was nothing wrong to do, uh, prescribing those uh, prescriptions to the patients. But I didn't agree with that because of my training. Viscara would soon learn that Gaiden's marriage of 26 years to Miriam was falling apart, and she had filed for divorce. What happened next would likely break most people. On the weekend of November 16th, 2006, a week before Thanksgiving, John Gaydon's son, 20-year-old John Gaydon III, traveled from his dorm at the University of South Florida in Tampa to spend the weekend with his boyfriend in Palm Bay. According to the police report, Gaydon's son, a graduate of West Shore Junior Senior High School, spent the night partying, snorting cocaine, smoking marijuana, and taking Oxycontin. He went to sleep at about 4 a.m. and never woke. The death was ruled an accidental overdose. But according to some of Gaydon's co-workers and his lawyer, that was the tipping point. There is no evidence to suggest Gaydon provided the pills to his son. The truth is we have no idea where he acquired them. Here again is Dr. Zabayos after being asked if there was a specific moment he saw Gaydon transform from a loving, caring doctor to something else. Zabayos said the change was drastic. That is a question that I have always 
ask I, myself, I have wondered, because they are two different people. Okay, the Dr. John Gaiden I met in 2004, okay, the professional, the competent physician, the friend, uh, the ethic uh, doctor, is completely different. It's another person from the doctor we knew in 2011, 2012. They were completely two different people. He suffered heavy trauma in 2007 relating to the loss of his son, who died in tragic uh, circumstances in 2007. And it was by that time, then he faced a divorce. So, of course, many uh, stressful situations happened to him in 2007. And it was at the same time that he began this change of behavior, this long passage down the cliff. And I don't know if maybe it was related to the loss of his son, to the divorce, but of course, it's, I, I cannot, we cannot uh, avoid that all these situations happen just at the same time when he faced uh, these two terrible situations in his life in 2007. Here again is Gaydon's attorney, Bryn Brito. He had been through a lot of tragedy in his life. He had faced tragic, tragic loss, um, really one tragic event after another. And it was If you look up Gaiden on the Clerk of Court's website, you'll also see a bunch of lawsuits during this time. Creditors came after him, and it seemed he was forced to close his place on Hickory Street near Holmes Regional Medical Center. And he temporarily opened an office in his own luxury home, right on the ocean on A1A. I heard he, he closed his office where I used to work, and he opened a, an office at his house in the, in the beach, which was unbelievable for me. That spot was only temporary, as then Gaydon opens up Indian Atlantic Internal Medicine at 1520 North A1A. It's a fancy name for his pain management clinic. Although, according to reports, Gaydon was also seeing some of his former patients there as well. Once Gaydon opened this clinic and started practicing, well, you heard in the last episode, this area of unincorporated Indian Atlantic would never be the same. Hey, if you like what we do here at Murder on the Space Coast, then help us continue our work please consider subscribing to Florida Today newspaper. You'll be surprised to learn that our digital subscriptions cost about the same as one premium cup of coffee a month. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. It wasn't long before word got out to law enforcement agencies that something was going on. But even before that happened, Gaydon was stopped by Indy Atlantic police while driving one night. Here is police chief Mike Connor, who back then was the town's only detective. First time that we knew something was up was on a traffic stop. Uh, one of the officers had stopped Dr. Gaydon, um, and inside a briefcase he had multiple pills, like loose pills and, and, and things. Um, he also had two very young uh, girls in the car with him. It was a two-seater car, but he had both of them sitting on the, on the front seat. Uh, and so I got called up and said, hey, what do, what do we do with this? And I said, well, got to talking to, to Dr. Gaydon for a little bit, and because he was a licensed doctor, they were samples, and there wasn't a whole lot that we could do with it. But I remembered, uh, I just remembered that 
being, wow, that is just a lot of, of pills here in this briefcase. Connor's hands were tied. I mean, it's okay for a medical doctor to have these pills, right? It's also okay for a medical doctor to prescribe these pills to people who need them. But it was becoming increasingly clear Gaydent wasn't an ordinary doctor anymore. Gaydent was helping to create a generation of drug addicts. Remember Corianne from last episode? Here she is talking about how Gaydent stopped taking insurance and operated a cash-only operation and what she had to do in order to afford her medications. Of these pills that you got from, from him, you used some of them? Yes. And did you sell any of these pills? I did. Okay. Did you sell them to help pay for your visits? What was the reason for selling them? Um, uh, there was no you, reason to you, sell them, actually. How much were you getting a pill? Pardon me? How much were you selling a pill for? Um, at that time it was 20. For one pill? So that's a lot of money. So what point, you said after about two or three months they changed and they didn't accept any more insurance? Yeah, they stopped taking insurance. So what happened? How much was the visit? Um, it was $100 in the beginning. And then it went to, I can't remember. It was like $100 in the beginning and then at the end it was 200 and then 300 every Two, 300 for your drug test visit, and then, because you get a drug test every month, so every other time you go in, you get a drug so test. So it's about 500 a month. Right, One was exactly. two, one was three. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, whole, the whole time you were there, he, he, I mean, we don't have to go through each and every visit, but was every visit similar? I mean, what was the visit like? Every, I never, um, it was... It was just, you go in the room, and Gaiden would bring in the prescription, not even written by him. So that already filled out? Yeah. It's um, his will that fills the prescriptions out. And he asks you, how are you? How was your weekend? Good. How was yours? Good. <laughs> really? Everything working okay for you? Yeah. Right? Here you go. The drug test was apparently to make sure that Gaydon's patients were not taking other illegal drugs, but they could have also been a way of making sure none of his patients were undercover police officers with clean urine showing no opiates. Meanwhile, Detective Connor over in Indy Atlantic had his hands full. He remembers the exact moment he realized Gaydon's business was probably prescribing way more pills than it should have. Uh, actually, the, the, the pharmacy called because they were concerned. So Walgreens across the, the way out uh, of Galley and US-1 actually stopped doing prescriptions because it was so prol- prolific that people were going there to get these prescriptions. So they just stopped uh, for Oxycon and, oh, wow. and Oxycodone and some other things like that. So everybody came over here and... Uh, they call and said, hey, why don't, we don't know what's going on, but these people have just shown up. Uh, so I went out there in, in plain clothes and started watching it. I'm seeing tags from Osceola County and Orange County and Georgia. I mean, it's out of state and everything. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say the line was out the door. It was out the door. Um, so I came back to the station. I got a, a video camera um, 
I hung my badge on a lanyard around my neck and I walked in and I just started videotaping and walking down the line and a couple of people left, but most of the others were not happy, you know, that I, I was filming them. And so a couple I would start talking to and, and we'd set up traffic stops and everything else. And every one of them, there was, there was nothing we could do. They had legitimate prescriptions for this stuff, you wow. know, and I know they were picking up for other people because they would pay people, you know, people don't have a valid driver license and they would pay somebody to transport them over here for a cut of the pills and take them back over to, you know, out of the county or different cities and, and things like that. So yeah. and just talking to folks and, and almost rubbed it in our faces a little bit as to there's nothing you can do about this because we're getting that. And, and every time it was John Gaden's name on these prescriptions. Agent Jason Kriegsman with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement had also started hearing about the pharmacies that stopped filling prescriptions written by John Gaden. Um, there was only a couple pharmacies um, in Brevard that would fill them. But if you went to like a Walgreens, CVS, they would just laugh. The, the pharmacist gave us statements and said, I won't fill a Gaden prescription. And uh, to, to quote, and I have a quote here from a couple of them if you want. Um, they basically said... Uh, the patients that come in for those prescriptions are young people, maybe in their 20s, do not appear to have any conditions that require heavy narcotic use, and I will no longer fill prescriptions from him. Um, so th those were some of the quotes of, of several pharmacists that just wouldn't even wow. fill a Gaten prescription. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Dr. Gaten is blamed for creating a generation of drug addicts and damaging a beautiful neighborhood. One instance I remember really clearly, you know, the Walgreens on A1A. Yeah. He had had my husband's truck, which he wasn't supposed to have. A cop called. Well, I happened to be riding looking for him, frantic, because if I didn't know where he was, and somebody had called the cops, he was found out cold with the needle in his arm, with the truck door open and running. My stepmother, my ex-stepmother, was caught up in the whole Dr. Gaden pills thing because she had a hurt neck, hurt back, and she was hooked on the blues. That's it for now. I'm opinion editor John A. Torres. And you can follow me on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast on at 321Murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Monster on the Beach, a Murder on the Space Coast podcast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.